0: Hi, this is Dave Williams. If you know radio news and talk, you know the name Jack Swanson. He's a radio superstar. He's one of the primary architects of the news talk format over decades, where he set the bar so high at the legendary KGO in San Francisco, nobody's been able to approach it. In this conversation, he told me why he left and went to Seattle, and then back to KGO, and then across the street, as we say in radio, to program KCBS, a station and company that he... Dearly loved until he didn't. Essentially, corporations took away Jack's toys and tools. But I don't want to put words in his mouth. He's very good at it. Here he is, Radio Master Jack Swanson. So let me just start with this basic question. Is radio dead?
1: No. I think it may be dead in its traditional form. let well, me give you an example. My, since I was the age of eighteen, I guess, with college radio, uh, my whole life has been radio. Um, but for years, I have not had a radio in my home. Uh, <laughs> I actually do have one—a uh, portable battery radio with the batteries out of it—in my emergency earthquake kit in the garage, um, because that may be useful to me someday, maybe. Um, I lo- In many ways, I enjoy radio more than I used to uh, because living here uh, in Marin County, north of San Francisco, uh, we have no talk radio here. We have KCBS that I programmed for a couple of years in all news format, but uh, local talk radio doesn't exist in radio market number four in America, which is- That's incredible. Which is really incredible. It hasn't existed for years. Well, since so KJ. So my favorite radio stations are KFI in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and WGN in Chicago. Yeah, and I listen to them on Alexa. I I don't have a radio in my house, but I have three different Alexas. Alexa allows me to listen to any radio station I want uh, at any time I want to. And so is is that radio? I don't know, in my car, I listened to Sirius XM. Got some favorite channels, and uh, none of them are local radio stations. You know, maybe with the exception of a Niners game. But can I roll back a little bit? Sure. Um, You know, when did this change? And everybody has a different idea of when it changed. There were, for me, two seminal moments. One was in the early... Oh, no, the mid-90s. probably 1995, 96, I brought my staff in, my KGO, KSFO staff, to the conference room, and I'd set up my computer. I said, listen to this. And I played for them off of my computer. Um, Virgin Radio in London. It was a very cool, contemporary hot radio station. I said, listen to this. We're listening to this off of the computer. This was revolutionary at the time. But I said, this changes everything. This changes everything. This is just the beginning. This is a novelty. But in time, you're going to be able to listen to anything, anywhere. And the definition of AM and FM radio goes out the window because you won't care as long as it sounds good and you're listening to what you want to listen to, whether that's in Zimbabwe or London or Boston, you now have control. And of course that happened. It was it was accelerated a couple of years later when I had lunch with Mark Cuban. I'll never forget it because somehow I got stuck with the lunch tab. <laughs> we, were, we were eating lunch in San Francisco. And he had an idea to take local sports franchises in our college sports franchises. In our case, it was University of California. And, and you've got some experience with sports teams, Dave. And in the early days, you had to set up a network of radio stations all over. It. And alumni would be all over. So we had to sign up affiliates in like Florida and Colorado so that the alumni could hear University of California football. And Cuban said, this is ridiculous, let me just take it off your hands. I won't pay you anything, but just let me take those games off of your hands for distribution. You won't have to set up networks anymore. I'll make it available on the internet everywhere. And that was really the beginning of a business. I
0: can't remember the name of his business. You might remember. I don't that. remember either, but I know Mark a little bit. He's been in our studio many times to talk. Okay. And uh, he always he always uh, makes a point of saying, uh, you know, it all started right here at KLIF. And yeah. then he talks about that internet connection and how.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that uh, was the beginning of his fortune. Uh, yeah. So radio was the beginning
0: of his fortune. Right.
1: By getting, literally getting out of radio, getting people yeah. out of uh, an antiquated distribution for what people wanted to hear. Right. Yeah. Uh, so is radio dead? Uh, I don't think so. It's just, well, it may be. But, you know, then the question is, is television dead? Um, I have a 32-year-old son. He doesn't have, what do we call it? it it's uh, it's not digital television. It's not legacy television. It is Lateral television? Uh, it's the traditional TV stations where ABC puts on a show at the time they want to put it on, and you better watch them. Right. Yeah. That business is dying, yeah. uh, dying rapidly. Disney is getting ready to sell their TV stations. Yeah. No secret. Just like they sold their radio stations. They're very smart folks at Disney. Uh, they sold radio early on. I think they're a little late in selling television, frankly. Um because the average person, 25, 30-plus, doesn't need traditional television. They, they watch what they want, when they want it. Right. And it doesn't get better than that.
0: No, you're talking about uh, on-demand. Um, I, I have a good friend. I think you know him. His name is David G. Hall. He, uh, sure. he and I worked together for a long time, and we still stay in close touch. And I was talking with him about this. I'm going to be talking with him on camera here within the next few days. And uh, he made a point to me that uh, was kind of a uh, an epiphany to me. He said, well, these days, he said, the listeners to uh, radio or whatever you want to call it these days are not so much interested in live and local as they are on demand. Because, uh, you know, I always thought like we were taught well, the fact that this radio station is in my community and they're talking about my community, they're the ones to turn to when an emergency is about to happen or something of that nature. Uh, all valid points still, but yeah. maybe, maybe the the focus has changed.
1: Yeah, I, I feel old when I say this. I love those old times when there were two newspapers a day put out in big cities or maybe one a day in a smaller city, but there was a daily newspaper. There were several radio stations with news departments that would fill you in on what was going on in the community. If the schools closed, you'd have to go to the radio to find out if your school was closed. That's not true anymore. You just go to the internet. We did
0: school lunches every
1: day or school lunches. All of those things we did that brought us together. Yeah. Um, The local radio station might be having a dance, Um, all kinds of things. Uh, They would go to the car dealer to bring a clown and free hot dogs. But the car dealer is selling his cars on the internet now. Um, And and what are we left with as a advertising base? We're left with, at least in California, lots of erectile dysfunction products. (laughs) Yeah. I heard a spot yesterday, Dave. I couldn't believe it. It was it was a spot on Sirius XM for butt crack deodorant. <laughs> and I thought it was a Howard Stern joke. It yeah. wasn't. It was a real company that said, look, you know, you got stuff under your arms. You ought to put this in your butt crack. And I went, oh, I didn't even know I needed that. But you know, where is United Airlines? Where is American Express? Where is Chevrolet and Ford? Where are the the major companies? Uh, you know, I, I keep reading in the trades that Procter and Gamble is investing zillions of dollars in radio. You can't prove it by me. I, I haven't heard a commercial for Tide on the radio in like forever. Yeah. Um, so it's radios have to find a new advertising base. Um, and I'm not sure I believe the ratings anymore. Um, that may be just be my skepticism.
0: It's funny. I, uh, I was talking with Greg yesterday, Greg Tantum and I were talking about, and we hit He hit up on that point. I think it was, yeah, I was pretty, pretty sure it was him. Might've been Andy Ludlam, but at any rate, another uh, good guy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The The point, the point was that back in the old days when we had diaries those were always a little bit suspect because you figure, well, you know, I'm not going to write down every single radio station I listen to every time of day. I'm going to write down my favorites. Yep. But uh, the problem, now the problem with uh, people meters, well, you know, seriously, you got people carrying around these little gadgets that, that pick up every sound they hear and and report back. Sounds good, but, uh, you know, I may just be, tend to leave that lying on my desk, and if there's something going on, it's going to be there. You know, I don't, I don't know, uh, I don't know how much, uh, how much stock we can put in the results of those figures, and and I also don't have any idea how much sales departments are able to use them.
1: I don't think they'll be able to use them very much at all. You know, they're oh my god, they uh, every salesperson I knew since the. Insep- since radio began its decline and uh, internet began its surge, sales radio salespeople have been forced to make a good portion of their buys that they transact as internet buys, uh, whether you're creating a website for the advertiser, or you're putting them on your website, or you're adding them to your stream. Oh, and don't get me going on pre-roll. So we'll get to that in a second. Mm. Um radio was unable to show as a business fiscal growth for the core business. So instead, they realized since they were making no money on the internet, if they got into the internet as well, they could show enormous growth. We're up 22% on our internet sales. The problem is they still represent a fraction of the total revenue of the radio station. But at least it showed movement, and and radio is run by radio today is run by investors, uh, not the old kind of investors that we used to have—pension funds and the little old ladies who bought some stock. It's run by uh, hardcore groups that that demand performance, and we're seeing everybody going bankrupt again. All the Odysseys going bankrupt now, and all the other groups have gone bankrupt several times. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, but let me get back to that point, and I'm going to pause here for a second because I forgot for a second what my okay. great point was. Oh, pre rolls. Yeah. Now most of my career was at KGO, and and then I went to uh, KCBS for my like my last two years, and then I went to KGO again for three weeks before I said, oh, this is bullshit. <laughs> And they said, "You can't quit. You got a three-year contract." And I said, "Oh yeah, I can. Uh, I'm a, I'm also a lawyer, and I'm an old man. And if you want to sue me because I'm not working, go ahead and do that. I'm not I'm not going any place. I'm not working for anybody else. But this is this place, Cumulus. I'm sorry, is bullshit. And you're not going to fix this. And of course, today, several years later, KGO is an all betting station now, all sports betting." One of the great tragedies in radio. Um, so, pre roll, when I got to KCBS, and I did love my two years at KCBS. I left because I joined them when they were owned by CBS, and I loved that. I loved the CBS organization. And then while I was there, they sold to Odyssey. I did not love Odyssey. So, when my contract was over after two years, I said bye. Um, but as I arrived, I'd been out of radio for a couple of years, and I was talking to salespeople, and they were talking about pre-rolls and selling pre-rolls. And I had no idea what pre-rolls was. I thought pre-rolls was some kind of marijuana thing where they wrapped the, the <laughs> your, your doobies first and that that was a pre-roll. Oh, pre-rolls there's is, as you know, Dave, is the advertising message that goes on the stream as soon as you hit that stream. Right. You may get a minute of commercial. You may get two minutes of commercials. You can get three minutes of commercials. WGN does this, KFI does this. It makes me crazy. And let's say I go from KFI to WGN and I go back to KFI, I still get the three minutes of pre-roll. What madness is this? Could YouTube possibly survive if anytime you click the video, you got three minutes of commercials up front? Right. It's insane. It 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 is But it makes money because the advertiser is guaranteed eyeballs on that spot as people are waiting for the content. But it is a huge problem. But they're making money on it. And since they're all going bankrupt, nobody's going to stop the behavior.
0: Well, what you're talking about, I think, uh, you know, I started, I got into this business 54 years ago. Okay. And uh, in 1969, um, in those days, Radio existed to perform, to entertain, to to uh, give uh, content of value to the listener. And over over the period of time, and I don't know, you know, how far back you want to go, I, maybe twenty years, maybe maybe less than that. But as you said, it's a business of investors now, and I understand that. I can uh, I can appreciate the way it's working because of that. But I don't appreciate the fact that these radio stations, all of them, are now owned by people who don't don't know anything about what it is that their company does or have any particular concern for it, except maybe locally. Maybe uh, you know the the tail started wagging the dog some time ago, yep. and uh, now we have uh, we have uh, people in the business and in, in major markets who have no idea what they should be doing, how they should be doing it, and why they should be doing it. And I include in that not only air personalities who didn't come up through uh, small markets as we all did, but uh, but a lot of people in programming who did the same thing. And so nobody really knows or cares about yeah. what the listener's doing.
1: You know, there's really no good education for programmers uh, anymore because there are no strong mentors anymore. There are very few people you can look at or admire. There are no real conventions to go to, to uh, dream at two in the morning about what you could do, what's possible. Yeah. Well, that's gone. So what you have is a bunch of program directors who are overworked and sometimes doing five radio stations, a talk station, a news station, a country station, yep. an AC, um, and they're just schedulers. They're just plugging stuff in. And somebody wrote the other day that there are two talk formats left, the adversarial format and the, the gushy nice format. Uh, I find GN to be a gushy nice format generally. That's okay. I don't mind gushy nice once in a while. And KFI I don't find really to be as confrontational as I think it used to be. Um, and that's okay, too. You know, there's confrontational stuff. I need to – I was – I created the second all-conservative radio station in America. It was KSFO in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and I did it because for of years of looking at diaries. Number one, there's been a successful one in Seattle already, programmed by Brian Jennings. And I was in Seattle and I saw how effective it was, but I'd also looked at diaries for years where the comments would invariably get to the liberal media's not telling the truth. Now, I happen to be liberal, but I went, whoa, a lot of people believe this. In San Francisco, you could be anything you wanted to be. You could be gay, lesbian, trisexual, whatever. And it was fine, but you could not be conservative. So the conservatives all kind of hid and were shunned. Uh, I said, well, let's do a radio station for them. It was KSFO. It was 36th in the market. We ramped that sucker up to number two by telling people you're right, that if you have conservative thoughts and values, you're right. Well, all these people came out of the woodwork because they could do that secretly with their radios in their car and in their home and then just fill it out in the diary and no one would know and they could enjoy it. (laughs) Wow, this was terrific. What I did not forecast was, and no one could, that it would, this is before Fox News, that it would develop into Fox News and develop into the greatest division we have seen in America since perhaps the Civil War. And for that, I take no credit, and and a great deal deal of sadness. Um, I don't like the way our country is, the adversarial nature of it. You know, the jokes about Thanksgiving dinner and politics aren't funny anymore. Um, Couples are breaking apart, churches are breaking apart um, because of this terrible division between liberals and conservatives. Both sides have hardened up, and I don't think we did any good. And what I created as truly, hang on a second, Tucker, be quiet. <laughs> I created as a radio parlor trick. That's what it was. It was a radio parlor trick. Yeah. Randy Michael said once in an open meeting, Jack Swanson would put on FARC sound effects 24-7 if he thought it could get him a number. I don't take pride in that, but there was some accuracy <laughs> uh, because I was trained. Well, I was trained in a lot of ways. Yes, all the things you're talking about. Serve, and that's what our big sister KGO did wonderfully, serving the community and huge news department with all the world and, and conservative people and liberal people and all of that. That was a wonderful radio station, but it's pretty hard to compete against KGO. So when I got KSFO as well, I went for the parlor trick. I Do I regret it? Now, everybody deserves a voice. I'm an ACLU kind of liberal. And, and that means to me, everybody deserves a voice. Although sometimes I'm sad because it's got kind of ugly. That's kind of a long and rambling
0: answer, Dave. No, 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 no. I love it. Uh, first of all, I mean, it takes us often to another tangent, which maybe we can approach if you want to. And that is, uh, the the effects of social media as we know it today. But even before we get to that point, you start talking about conservative radio and its inception. Um, one thing I recognized really early, I think, is that, you know, a lot of pe- everybody, and back in the day that talk radio was everybody calls in. We all have call-ins. Finally, they stopped doing so much of that because of what I thought was, uh, you, you know, it's nice to give the give the listener a a, a you know, part of the show, but they really don't know what they're talking about for the most part. And most of us listening understand that. I was, uh, I was programming KFBK for a year after I started working there doing mornings and Rush Limbaugh was still there doing nine to noon before he went national. And at one point I, I got, so I was in my office after I got off the air and I was so tired of taking, you know, hateful phone calls and, Threats to quit listening. And then we got a, uh, I think the, the breaking point was, I got a, uh, uh, here's my cold kicking in. A simple word where people sign a document. Petition. Yeah, thank you. I got a petition from a church group demanding that Rush Limbaugh be fired. Now, I'm the program director, but I got up out of my desk. I walked into the studio during a break and I said, Rush, put me on when you come back. And uh, he didn't know, so I, so he did. And I said, hi, you guys know me from the morning show. I'm also the program director, and here's what that means, kind of. But I said, here's the thing. I'm getting phone calls now. I've gotten this petition from this church group that says, you got to fire this guy. I said, first of all, you need to understand that that's not how this business works. We don't fire people because you don't like them or you don't like what they're saying. You know, we have our own method and reason for doing things. And I said, and besides that, this just came off the top of my head. I really love this. He sa- I said, uh, the Constitution of the United States gives you a right to free speech, but it doesn't insist on it. Some of you should shut the hell up. And That's been my take on uh, put, uh, politics in general, certainly social media today, and uh, political radio as it was in the 80s.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, also, Dave, I'm not sure because I've been out of active talk radio for a long time. But I would guess that the quality, as social media ramped up and gave everybody a voice, suddenly everybody gets a voice and kind of a permanent voice, not, you know, two minutes on a radio station that disappears, but you can publish on the social media sites and it stays forever and you can show to all of your friends and they won't miss it. And you can say exactly what you want to say. I have to believe that that took away a whole bunch of the intelligent former talk radio callers yeah. who go, well, why would I want to talk on a radio station? Number number one, radio is not such a big deal anymore. And number two, I can put my picture up. I can put videos up. I can put memes up. I can put a long essay if I want, and no one will interrupt me, and I can publish my truth on social media I just wonder if some of those people just stopped calling talk radio and as a result the quality of the callers went down and so and they're all the quality of, quality of callers always de- depended kind of on your market sometimes but we used to have really good callers here in San Francisco high education community um and I don't think that's true anymore
0: it's just one all answer. right let's let's talk for for a minute about kgo Uh, KGO was, I think, at least in my experience, the greatest talk radio station that ever existed. It was largely because of you, it was because of Mickey Luckoff, it was because of the people that you had working for you and with you, Um, from the fantastic hosts, uh, the producers, everybody seemed to have everything going on at all times, and as a listener, even though I was in Sacramento, 85 miles away, I felt like you know, this is San Francisco. This is my hometown because of the way it came through the radio and how, how involved I was emotionally. And, uh, you know, it was just, uh, it, it was my habit. Do, do you, do you have a, a feeling that that was, uh, that was your great, your greatest time in the business?
1: Oh, God, my greatest time in the business was doing short newscasts at WLS in the 70s with uh, Larry Lujak and a bunch uh, of rock and roll stars. And I was drinking champagne at midnight, and that was my most fun. <laughs> but I would say KGO was the, was the seminal moment for me. It was the moment when it all came together, and it all made sense. And to a very large degree, I was... This is due to Mickey Luckoff. I uh, I'll always talk about the tale of two cities. Mickey Luckoff was running KGO in San Francisco, the number one station. George Green was running KABC, station you're familiar with, in Los Angeles. Uh, the difference, and these guys became general managers in the early '70s. They came out of sales. The key difference between these two gentlemen, and I have great respect for. For both George and Mickey and thank goodness, I believe they're still with us today. George believed his responsibility was to send the greatest possible profit back to ABC corporate. Mickey believed his responsibility was not to send back the most money, but to have the most successful radio station in other, as a long-term commitment. So in other words, Mickey was invested in building and keeping a major league radio station. Um, George was interested in being a big deal, but he wanted to please the masters at ABC New York and sent back a greater percentage of profit. And what we saw over the years was KABC continuing to decline, and there are lots of reasons for that the signal. And by the way, KGO signal had some problems too, but... But KBC did have real signal problems. But they were the number one station in the market. And I know people moved to Orange County, but I also know that I heard that radio station not being as big league as it once was. And, and KGO until it got, until Disney sold it, um, continued to invest and continued to go for it. But then Disney sold it. And I can't blame the Walt Disney Company for that. I'm a shareholder in the Walt Disney Company, and it was a fiscally wise thing to do. They sold at the top, they got out of the business, and the money they got from selling ABC Radio's division, they bought Pixar with it. And Pixar has continued to produce very profitable, good animation
0: for the Disney Company to this day. Very high quality content. You talked about Mickey and his influence on KGO. Uh, Tell me about yours, your personal influence. What was it you were looking for in terms of the way the radio station sounded, how it was, how it was perceived by the audience, and what you were looking for in terms of talent? Well, it's an unusual radio station, and and of course,
1: those were the days, and, and and you can go back to those days. I was getting three to four unsolicited. Cassette tapes and sometimes reel to reel tapes, three to four a day, every day for years. That was like a thousand audition tapes a year. Also, the company invested in my going on the road to listen to talent that didn't send me uh, tapes. So I would be sent on road trips to sit in a hotel and just listen to people. Uh, in their markets, because we didn't have the internet. So I would travel to five cities a week, four weeks a year, 20 cities a year, 100 cities in five years, looking for that gem. I only got two out of those trips, Gene Burns out of Boston, and Lee Rogers out of Chicago. But they became two key players in the puzzle. And probably my time was better spent doing that than just fiddling with my pencil on a schedule in my office in San Francisco. <laughs> so, and, and it allowed me to get educated because we didn't have the internet in those days. And it let me hear what other people were writing for liners or ideas or show topics or, or how are they handling this? or How are they doing this? And I think it was, you know, my, one of my greatest educations as a PD, was learning from my peers around the country. KGO was odd, maybe not odd, yeah, odd today, maybe not so odd then, is, is, is that my belief was every day there should be every opinion expressed on every significant topic of the day. In other words, I wanted liberal opinions, I wanted conservative opinions, I wanted you as a listener to have your own ideas reflected at some time during the day and almost more important than who the personality was that you were tuning in. I wanted to know, I wanted you to know that there was somebody on this radio station, conservative, middle of the road, crazy liberal that would reflect your opinion. And here's when when they'll be on. So, you know, looking for talent is the, well, I don't even know if people do audition tapes anymore, but with all those tapes, I would know within 10 or 15 seconds, whether there was something there and I could never explain it. It was just my stomach. Sure. It was, it was just there and, and people would send me 20 minute tapes and, you know, I would go to conventions and say, don't send me 20 minutes, send me, send me <laughs> two or three minutes. And, and, and if I want more or send me the 20, But well, trust, I'm not going to listen to the whole darn thing. and, It's kind of like how people listen to radio, especially in their car. They hit a button, they hit a scan. They either like it or don't like it. And it's about six seconds or maybe less and they're gone. Yeah. Uh, Or they stay. So I think I was good at that. I was also pretty good at what average people like. My favorite ice cream flavor is vanilla and uh I think in many ways I have vanilla taste, although I passed on Rush Limbaugh. Rush was in my office in San Francisco while he was in Sacramento only. Yeah, I can still remember he was wearing his blazer and his penny loafers, red flax, blue blazer, red tie. I can remember like it was yesterday. I said, Rush, this ain't going to fly in San Francisco. It's maybe in Sacramento, but you don't understand San Francisco. Yeah, problem was I didn't understand San Francisco. I didn't understand at that point the hidden conservative element that was huge. And Rush would later come to KSFO and do as well as anywhere.
0: Well, you mentioned a moment ago, you said that uh, you wanted talent that would, or you wanted the radio station on KGO to reflect every opinion. And uh, that caught my ear because I thought, well, that's an interesting perspective that I've never actually really heard. Reflect the thoughts of of, of your audience as opposed to, Uh, challenge and antagonize people and try to tell people what to think and how to feel about things. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just part of the transition that occurred, because what you're talking about is, I think about KGO in those days, listening to Dunbar and Wygant in the morning, and then Ron Owens, and then on up all the way up through uh, the afternoons, I, I think of, I thought of KGO as number 1 it was a great uh, education for me in terms of radio but also in in terms of uh, life and uh, I realized that I was learning from both sides you know before there were really two hard hard uh, de- hardly defined sides to yeah. uh, to take oh, so uh, you know I can I cannot imagine you giving Rush at that time in his career a second look because what he was doing was being antagonistic, but very entertaining in the process. And very funny in those early days. Yeah. I think funniest
1: in his early days. Yeah. Um, you know, Dave, I used to, uh, and I still say, you know, the, the most important thing that people like to hear is, you're Right. They like to hear that more than I love you because eh, you may not love me. I don't know. People say that a lot. Maybe you don't really love me. Uh, And I feel a little creepy when you say you love me. I don't know. But when somebody says to me, you're right, I believe that, it, it, it kicks into me. And when a radio station says to you, you're right, affirms your belief, a bond happens, whether that is liberal or conservative sure. or n- middle of the road. It's okay it's to say, you know, I don't know what the hell's going on in the Middle East. Uh, Hamas was just friggin' terrible, but now the Jews have isolated all of the Palestinians and cut them off and are bombing them. It's okay to say, I don't know, and, and to reflect that in talk radio.
0: Oh, that's so great. Um, you're right. Uh <laughs> You know that what what that says to, that reminds me of uh, when I first uh, had my first talk show. It's irrelevant, but it was uh, in, in an early evening time slot in Sacramento at KGNR, which had been KCRA Radio, and I I went on there and I and I had a I had a nice following from the beginning. People called say I really like listening to you and yes so forth and so on, and I, some and people and I realized that people are calling to say. Well, I think you're you're one of the smartest people I've ever heard on the radio or anyone, and I started thinking about that, and I came back on the air and said, uh, I t- I talked about this a little bit, and I said, here's the thing you don't understand. I'm 23 years old. I never went to college. I don't know anything about anything, but you believe me because I'm on the radio, yeah. and there is there is that uh, that you know, some sort of authoritarian aspect of being a voice in the radio, at least there was at the time, that yeah. uh, telling people, yeah. you know, yeah. as the as the voice saying, yeah. you know what, that's a great point. You're yeah. right. Yeah. That really does make sense.
1: Yeah. You know, I I go back to my days in Chicago and I ran into a the, the leading I was covering City Hall for a while for WLS. The leading newspaper guy, uh I think it was John Madigan at uh Daily News, I'm not sure. Anyway, we're just chewing the fat in the in the press room at Chicago City Hall. And I say, gee, nice to meet you, Mr. Madigan. You know, God, I've been reading you for years. And to be in your prof- to be in the same profession as you uh in journalism in a big city like Chicago, it's a real honor. And he looked at me, he said, kid, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, I write, I write, I write the news. That's not a profession. Let me tell you what a profession is. Profession is barbers and beauticians. You have to get a license for that. Lawyers, doctors, architects, you got to get a license for that. But you are no more a professional than the guy who cuts your hair. They have to get licenses and study for it. You know what we have to do to do this stuff, what you're doing on the radio and what I do in the newspaper? We don't have to do anything. We can be sixth grade dropouts. Right. Nobody ever tests us about the Constitution or fairness or accuracy or anything. We just go do it. So never forget you know, forget about this fourth estate bullshit, Jack. Never forget we're not professionals. We're
0: just working stiffs. We're town criers.
1: We're town criers.
0: That's yeah. it. You know, yeah. we, we take the message. Hear ye, hear ye, and then we...
1: There we go. And, and, and now sometimes we're the uh, clowns, too. We, yeah. The jugglers mixed with the town fair. Yeah,
0: Kind of coming back now to uh, where we started. I, I've, I've said a number of times in the past years that uh, I tend to think of radio people now as the lamplighters of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. We're still going through the process and maybe serving a little bit of a purpose, but uh, not a not a great deal of concern or appreciation for what we do. But as you indicated, what we're talking about is uh, you know a, a, a stick and tower broadcast, uh, as opposed to new new methods of delivery, and that's all we're talking about really. And probably, tell me if I'm wrong about this. I think there will always be uh, uh, a uh, desire for human interaction and, and, uh, you know, hearing from and seeing people that I think that are interesting and, and, uh, that I can relate to. And therefore they're going to become my favorite public person persons. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, regardless of how, well, what the delivery method is, um, mm-hmm. there's still going to be a need for that.
1: Sure, I like. Uh, I'm one of the few people who likes the sportscaster Jack Buck. Most yeah. people hate Jack Buck, but yeah. I love Jack Buck, and I will watch almost any sports event he's doing play-by-play on. Even sports events I don't even care about because I just like something about him. Yeah. Um, now that's a television analogy, but
0: it's it fits. Cool. No, it's just a people. It's just a people story. People. People it's are a men.
1: people thing, and and people like other people. Yeah. Also, in a time I was reading the other day, Surgeon General was reporting that loneliness is one of the most serious problems in America today. Uh, Not just among the elderly, but among all of these, what do we call them? Digital nomads now who work off their laptops and can work anywhere, but usually end up working in their spare bedroom by themselves all day long with no human interaction other than who's on their Zoom, eh, not quite the same, huh? Um, so radio, you know, radio has always been good company. And I think if it's gonna succeed, it's just what you were talking about here, Dave. If it's gonna succeed, it's gotta be a good companion. It's gotta offer a relationship that, I think we need increasingly, Uh, and I'm not sure it's the same when I watch. Is there a difference, Joe Rogan on um, on a YouTube or Joe Rogan if he were live? I think there is, but that may be just because I'm old.
0: You too are live. I've never i I've I've listened to a lot of Joe Rogan, but I've also always done it in the car. So okay. uh, I've never never sat down. I don't really understand what you and I are doing right now because we will get our our greatest following on YouTube because I'll post this up on YouTube because number one it's free and number two people watch it. Yes, but I don't do. understand the idea of watching people talk. You know, yeah. <laughs> so so I guess I'm I'm old too in that respect. I don't I don't need to see the guy. I just want to hear what he has to say.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Um... And and I also I've I've heard him talk about this. Um, I, I kind of take issue with the idea that he makes all of his guests, you know, and he has those conversations that last two, three hours, and he makes yeah. all of his guests wear headphones. I say you're sitting six feet away; I can hear you just fine. But he insists that there's a difference. You know, it has a it, it has an influence in and in, in hearing yourself. And I go, yeah. Back in 1970, when I was wearing Cos Pro Four Double A headphones. I would hear myself and think, oh, my God, I sound great. And that affected the way I did my show. So there you go. Uh, (laughs) At WLS,
1: we were wearing foam uh, in the 70s, foam Sennheisers, cheap plastic uh, top and yellow rubber things. Nice and lightweight at least. Yeah. A number of the jocks would glue or scotch tape uh, plastic coffee cups on <laughs> top of that to um, give them a little more depth in what they were hearing. And on top of that, the engineer, when we had engineers, when they would go in for their shift, they'd go uh, plus five, minus four, which was the processor. Or the headphones to make them further sound just the way they wanted to, so that may be
0: where Joe's coming from. I don't know. And that's that's where we get uh, top forty jocks like me going. Well, good good morning, everybody. It's you, nice to join, you know. Yep. Yep. Uh, Jack, this has been wonderful. Uh, oh, one of it's the thing I, I, I want to, I would like to have you give me a quick rundown of your. Of, of your resume because I know I know of you from KGO, and I know of you from KCBS and you know I've been reading things that you've said at various uh, various conventions and so forth for as long as I can remember. but I really don't know anything about your your uh, advancement, your beginning in radio.
1: well, a little boring, but uh, we'll go through it quick. Uh, okay. I was going to Ripon College. I was going to be in, in Wisconsin, Ripon, Wisconsin. I was going to be a minister. Uh, we we're my freshman year. We're having uh, dinner in the cafeteria. And one of the guys at my table says, I got to go. I'm not going to have time for dessert. What? I'm going to, I got a show over at the, over the radio station. I said, what radio station? And I went over the next day, got the bug transferred to Boston university, became a broadcast and film major, uh, worked for CBS part-time while I was there doing uh, producing news. And at, by the end, I was a reporter and anchor for WEEI uh, probably their youngest one when EEI was an all new CBS station and then Army a couple of years in the infantry and uh, then Madison, Wisconsin WTSO for three years and then Chicago comes calling so it's WLS 73 to 79 Uh Then it's KGO, 79 to 90. I quit in 90 to be a general manager at King AM and FM in Seattle. Uh, They sell that radio station. So I go back to KGO. Uh, But by then we picked up KSFO. So I'm programming both, which was kind of kicky. And then, uh, well, let's see. And then I quit under Cumulus when... The GM comes in, and this is 2011. Uh, GM comes in and says, well, hi, I'm the new GM, and you're working for Cumulus now. We need to talk. I said, let me guess what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about you paying me half as much, and I'm going to work twice as hard. He said, that's pretty close. (laughs) And I said, tell you what. We don't even need to get into details. This was a Thursday. Can you give me till Monday morning? I really want to think about this. Yeah, uh, It's important for the stations. It's important for me. It's Thursday. He said, you got 24 hours. Well, when he said you got 24 hours, that set off my fuck you button. Yeah, And 24 hours later, I said, I'm out of here. Uh, I'll stay six months, six days, six weeks. Whatever makes sense for you, but I don't see us together going forward. And by the way, since you're cutting my pay, this is a constructive discharge. So I'll expect severance. And I never hear from the guy again until well, two weeks later, when 10 of us get marched into the conference room to see the HR lady in black and we all get our packets and you know, I'll get, uh, there's a guard outside my office door. Uh, watching me to make sure I don't take any secrets, whatever that book that is. <laughs> and I get up uh, I get purple walked out of the radio station that I'd worked for for twenty years. God. And then uh, I did nothing for a couple of years, and then they talked me no. I did nothing for eighteen months, and then I went to KCBS, which was really good. There's a wonderful group of people there. Still, it still is. And uh, then. I ended my two-year contract there. Didn't want to work for Odyssey. I got to be very fussy in my old age. People I didn't want to work for. Somehow the local Cumulus GM, who was my GM at uh, at KCBS, who's now the Cumulus GM, talks me into coming back to do KGO and KSFO, as if that were possible. And it was possible, but within three weeks, I learned corporate would never allow it to happen. It, 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 They had no idea what they were doing. It was really mission impossible. And I said, sorry, I'm out of here. And that's really the end of my radio story. I did a little consulting afterwards, uh, which was fun, but not really satisfying. Yeah. And now I tend my garden, I travel, play with my dog.
0: Life's good. I think uh, you and I I are uh, some of the lucky ones. Despite our age and all the challenges that presents for us, uh, you know, we both got into radio when radio was great. Yep. And we learned, we learned from from the great people on the air and then the great people in the in the uh, down at uh, Mahogany Row in the offices yeah. and so forth. And you you learned and you made each step one at a time, market to market, job to job. You start on the weekends, you wind up doing morning drive, whatever. And uh and now it's all kind of coming to an end. And I just I just say, well, you know, I am so lucky timing wise in in that respect. Yep. Dumb yep. luck.
1: I think we all were. We all look back at that with a great deal of fondness and we were lucky. And uh there will be things in the future beyond what we can imagine. Right. Um, or a friend of mine said the other day, or was it me who said it the other day? One of us said it the other day. <laughs> that AI advances and takes more and more and more jobs. That ultimately we may come full circle. Actually, I was talking about, this, about a guy who actually owns a farm in Buffalo, New York. We may go back to an agrarian society where we go back to cows and planting things because that's really the one thing that AI is probably not gonna take over. And the computers will, in 50 years, do it all. Entertain us, create uh, visual images, write poetry. I don't know, we don't know, it's gonna be exciting. I wish I'd be here in 50
0: years. I agree with you. I wish I was gonna be around for another 50 or 100 years. But uh, I'll I'll let my uh, I'll let my son and grandson uh, deal with the problems. I'm done with that. Yep. Jack, thank you so much. This has been thank great. You. It was fun, Dave. Thank you for asking. There he is, the great Jack Swanson. I'm proud to call him my friend now. First time I ever met Jack though was in a job interview kind of situation. I traveled to KGO. I was working at KFBK in Sacramento at the time, doing mornings, as I had done for years. They had an opening in the afternoon, so I spent some time, a lot of time, surprisingly to me, uh, talking with the program director at the time, Ken Berry, and news director Greg Tantum. Jack Swanson stepped in, and man, we had a ball. At least, I did. I didn't get that job. But as I look back on it, I don't think I was ready. And I think those guys knew better than I did.